Let's go ahead and open up to Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. Excuse me, verse 2. Well, we're in a bit of a new chapter for our church this morning. I don't believe our church has ever gone through a pandemic before. And so we're kind of turning a page in the history of our church and having a new chapter. This morning, we're having Sunday school. In a week and a half, we'll have Awana. And our normal church activities throughout the week are beginning to start again. So we're in this new stage of our church's history. And I've been here about a year and a half. I, I, I consider this... A, almost like a new beginning, a new start. And in the Lord's kind providence, he has a passage and a message for us that is very applicable to our church. Since being here, I've been able to get to know this church, get to know you, and I've been able to see our strengths and our weaknesses. And regarding our weaknesses, there is one challenge that we have here that I think is our most pressing challenge as a church to the health of our church to its function and ministry and I take that challenge to be dealing with disputes dealing with controversies dealing with arguments and disagreements between believers now this disagreement can be long-standing. It can be a recent disagreement. But I think one of our challenges here at CBC is loving one's neighbor in light of disagreement, in light of disputes, in light of controversies between members, between Christians. And I see God's providence, and as we transition to this new stage, this new chapter in our church's life, Lord willing, hopefully the worst of this pandemic is behind us. As we transition, the Lord has a message for us about something that we need to address as a church. God is so kind. The Word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, and He gives it to us to instruct us in godliness and to change our behavior, to bring about the image of Christ in our lives. That's both as individuals and as a church. So with that brief introduction, let's go ahead and read this passage this morning that deals with its dispute between two godly women. Philippians 4, verse 2. Paul writes this. I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord Yes, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. This, is a, this passage is a simple passage. There is not much that gets in the way of us understanding it. It's a very simple message. And the title of my sermon, A Church Dip Dispute, I try to communicate the simplicity of the issue that Paul is addressing. And I'm going to take this passage in a simple approach with a simple outline. 
I'm going to move from problem to solution to application. First, addressing the problem that is evident in this congregation, then investigating the solution that Paul proposes, and then application. What do we do about it? How should we respond to this? So first, for the problem. The problem is not hard to understand. Verse 2, Paul mentions these two names, Eudia and Syntyche. And these are women. These are two women. And the reason why we know these are women, in the ancient world, these two names could be used of men. So it's not immediately clear from verse 2 that these are women. They could be men. But if you look in verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these these women. So these are two women who have a disagreement with one another. Now these women, Paul thinks very highly of. Paul knows that they're Christians. These are godly women. Look at the end of verse 3. Whose names are in the book of life. The book of life is a reference to God's, this book that God has. This is a metaphor. This is not literal. But it is a metaphor of God's understanding and knowledge of those who are saved. God has this book. And in this book that shows up in the Old and the New Testament, certain names are written in this book. It is a book of life. And those whose names are written in this book are Christian. That's what Paul is communicating here. That these two women, their names are in the book of life. They're Christians. But not only are they Christians, looking at verse 3... These women, these Christians, these godly saints have labored side by side with Paul in the gospel. They were involved in early ministry in the early church and they labored. They sacrificed. These weren't women who were on the fringes of the church in Philippi. They weren't fake or hypocrites. These women labored. They engaged in evangelism and discipleship and building up the local church with Paul. So these were prominent women in the church in Philippi. And Paul's words here are those of affection. Paul loves these women. He's drawn to them. And the problem, though, is that these women disagree. And the reason, the way we know that they disagree is based upon what the command that Paul gives. In verse 2, what is the command that Paul gives to them? He tells them to agree. Now that, that command only makes sense in light of disagreement. So Paul here is commanding these women to get over the disagreement that they have with one another. To find some common ground. And in the church... What you will find in, in great churches, in good churches, in this church, and many churches around the world that teach good doctrine, that preach the gospel, and that uphold the authority of Scripture, you will find situations like this. You will find situations of godly people who are involved in ministry disagreeing. You think of in the apostolic age. You think of the book of Galatians. That book starts off with a disagreement between 
Apostle Peter and Paul. You think of Acts. Paul having disagreements with early disciples. You think in the history of the church, Martin Luther and John Calvin disagreeing, and now you have two different traditions of Christianity resulting. You think in the life of this church, the various disagreements between godly Christians. This happens. This is going to happen until Jesus returns. It is a reality of living in a fallen world. Even the best of Christians is a sinner. And our perspective is limited. And so oftentimes we find ourselves at odds with other Christians, other godly people in the body. So this is the problem. This is the problem that Paul addresses in the first century. And this is the problem that has continued unto this day to us, to other churches, and will continue until the Lord returns. A common problem. But a problem that needs to be addressed. A problem that God has something to say about. The reason why this is here in the Bible is that God wants us to deal with what he says here. So that's the issue that Paul is dealing with in the first century, and that's the issue that continues to this day. And Paul has a solution. Paul proposes certain steps of action that these women and other people within the congregation must take in order to bring reconciliation. So here I'm segueing to the solution. And the solution, there are four different steps that Paul takes to achieve a resolution, reconciliation within this body. And the first step comes to us in verse 2. Paul says, I entreat Eudia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Could Paul have written this letter and taken out verses 2 and 3? Could Paul have written this letter and not brought up this issue? So look in 4.1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Verse 4, skipping, so we're trying to think of Paul removing verses 2 and 3. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. It definitely could. This letter... Paul's letter to the Philippians makes total and complete sense without Paul bringing up this issue. The letter, the theme of the letter, still holds. But what Paul is is doing is he is choosing to bring up a conflict. He's choosing to address the issue. What he is choosing to do is he's choosing to address the elephant in the room. Now, with these disputes, we have the option of not talking about them. We have that freedom. Paul has that freedom here. He's not, his letter can make sense without bringing that up. But what he does is he kindly and graciously takes the first step in dealing with the problem by raising the problem. Paul doesn't go from 4.1 to 4.4. He has this little segment in 4.2 and 4.3. He addresses the issue. 
That is the first step that Paul takes in dealing with conflict and dispute in the church. And then second step, what he does secondly in verse 2, is he gives a command here. I want you to see that this is a command. This is not a suggestion. Paul is not giving a suggestion to these women. He is commanding them. And his command to them, <clears throat> simply put, is to agree. Paul's commandment to these women is to agree. But he adds this prepositional phrase that is so important. What is that prepositional phrase? In the Lord. And Paul, what Paul does here in verse 2, is he's dealing with previous items that he's said in chapter 3. Look in Philippians 3, 15. Now, in 3.15, Paul's posture is different. In 3.15, Paul says this, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. So I take what Paul is saying in 3.15 and 3.16, is he is allowing freedom within the body of Christ regarding disagreement. There are some matters in the body of Christ between believers that we are allowed to have freedom in disagreeing with each other. We are not a cult. What you find in cults is that everybody has to think and feel the same way. That's not what we do here in Christianity. Let me be very clear about that. We are allowed to be ourselves as followers of Christ. And Paul grants that concession in 3.15 and 16. We have freedom in being who we are. There's a certain bit of allowance that we have in the body of Christ. But that freedom and allowance has boundaries. Notice what Paul says in 4.2. Paul does not say, it is okay that you disagree. Paul's posture is different in 4.2. Paul's posture is one of commandment. Our boundary of disagreement within the body of, body of Christ, there's a limit to it. It's not boundless. We are allowed to have some differences of opinion. That is granted. But that's not unlimited. And the boundary here is that we must agree in the Lord. We must, as Christians, as fellow believers in Christ, as brothers and sisters, that's what we are to one another. We are family. As brothers and sisters, we have to agree in the Lord. And what this means, we have to go to chapter 2 in Philippians. Look in 2 1. What does it mean when Paul says for these women to agree in the Lord? I'm going to read a bit of chapter 2, so follow with me. We'll start in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. How? By being of the same mind, 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. What Paul is doing here is he's introducing the same themes and words that occur in 4.2. Paul is saying to the Philippians, he's saying to us, God is saying to us that we have to be of the same mind. We have to be of the same love, being of full accord and of one mind. And what is that mind? What is the agreement that we must have with one another that is absolutely essential for the Christian life? Verse 3, this is that agreement that we must have. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. That is the mindset that we have to have towards one another. A mindset and an attitude of humility, of deference, of love, of selflessness. Seeking the interests of others above our own. And the origin of the, this mindset, the reason why we as Christians must have this mindset, the reason why Yudia and Syntyche must have this mindset, and the reason why they must agree in the Lord. Verse 5. Have this mind among you, yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Agreeing in the Lord is a form of Christian discipleship. We are to agree in the Lord with our brothers and sisters in Christ. We are to show deference and humility and selflessness because this is how our Lord thought. This is how our Lord acted. Verse 6, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Agreeing in the Lord means following the pattern of thinking and attitude that Jesus himself had. And the attitude and pattern of Jesus' thinking was of one of service and humility. Dear friends, he came to give his life for you. He did not come for his own good. He came out of humility and love and selflessness and sacrifice. And what Paul is commanding these two women to have, the mindset that Paul is encouraging and exhorting here in 4.2 is for these women to have this posture towards one another. One of selflessness. Kindness. Sacrifice. Deference. Humility. Paul is commanding these women to do this towards one another. Let's go back to 4.2. So Paul raises the issue... He gives a command. 
He commands agreement in the Lord. This is not optional in the body of Christ. And then he brings in a third party. Verse 3. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. Paul brings in a third party. Now this true companion... Commentators are divided about who this person is. And I, I don't think it's terribly important for us to know exactly who this is for, uh, for us to understand Paul's commandment here. It could be anyone. It could be a male. It could be a female. It ultimately doesn't matter. What matters, the specifics of who they are doesn't matter. What matters is that Paul is calling in someone else to help resolve this situation, this disagreement. The specifics of who this is doesn't ultimately matter. Paul gives a command to this true companion. And Paul commands this person to help these women. Now, I looked up this verb, help, and I was really surprised at what it meant. You know what it means? It means help. It means help. Paul commands this person to aid these women. And what Paul is doing here in 4.3 is he's modeling what Christ does in Matthew 18. We're not going to turn there, but listen to what our Lord says. If your brother sins against you, Go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. When we have disputes in the church, and those disputes cannot be solved between the persons involved, what must happen as, being, as brothers and sisters in Christ, what we are called to do is we are, are called to come alongside those who are having these disputes. Jesus instructs us this way in Matthew 18, and Paul is doing the same. For some reason, these women needed help. They needed another Christian to help them get beyond their disagreement. And that's what Paul is doing in 4.3. He's calling the body of Christ beyond these women to bear one another's burdens, to get involved in the messiness of conflict and relationships. That's what Paul is commanding true companion to do. And the last step, we're still dealing with solution. What Paul does last in this is that he assumes on behalf of Judea and Syntyche, he assumes transparency. He assumes that Judea and Syntyche will be okay with true companion helping them. He assumes that. That's assumed here. Paul gives a commandment to Judea and Syntyche in 4.2 and a, a different commandment 
and 4.3 to True Companion. But they relate. They relate. True Companion will come and help these women, and these women will not be defensive about receiving help. We might imagine the situation going badly if it went something like this. So, True Companion comes to Yudia and says to her, I, I just heard Paul's letter. I just heard what our, our apostle has said. And Paul wants me to help you and Syntyche resolve this relationship to, to get beyond your disagreement. We need to do this. This is what our Lord wants us to do. He wants you and Syntyche to agree in the Lord. When can we set up a meeting? What Paul doesn't want Yudia to do is to say this. Well, that's none of your business. Stop being nosy. For 4.2 and 4.3 to work in Philippians, there has to be a desire for Yudia and Syntyche to be transparent in this situation and to accept help. You can't have it, the situation working without these women being okay with that. So summarizing what I'm saying, this solution, I, I, I made four points, four, four items that Paul has engaged in to solve this dispute. First, he's addressed the issue. He's brought it up. He's called out the elephant in the room. Second, he's given a commandment to Yudia and Syntyche, the women involved, to agree in the Lord, to have a mindset of deference and humility and sacrifice towards one another. Third, he's commanded a third party who is true companion. He's commanded this person to get involved in the situation. And then fourth, he's assuming that Yudi and Syntyche are going to be okay with true companion's involvement, with the broader body of Christ getting involved in this situation. Not rejecting this, but accepting this as the Lord's help. So that's Paul's solution. Problem, there's a conflict, solution. Paul has a number of things to say. And dear friend, now what about us? What about you? What does the Lord want us to do as a church and as individuals in light of this passage? Dear friends, this is the word of God. Yes, Paul has written it. But we believe that Paul is an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that while he is not directly writing to us, this passage is ultimately for us, right here, right now, in the life of our church. How should we respond? What does the Lord call us to as a body of Christ? I'm going to be following Paul's points, what he did. So four points of application. The first point is that we need to address certain disputes. I put it like this. Address the disputes in your life that God is calling you to address. 
address the disputes, another word for disputes could be conflict, controversy, address the disputes in your life that God is calling you to address. State it negatively. Do not run from all forms of conflict. Stated negatively, we cannot run from all forms of conflict. What Paul does in 4.2 is he raises the issue. He addresses the elephant in the room. For some Christians, there is a temptation towards running from conflict. Some Christians, their tendency is towards being peacemakers, and they're extremely empathetic and compassionate. And they really want everyone to get along. And they feel that if they bring something up, it will make people mad. It will make people upset. There's a tendency towards running from conflict. And I want us to see, dear friend, that that tendency has limits. There are some situations, the Proverbs are very clear about this, there are some situations in life that if there is a controversy, if there is a dispute, that we should not bring it up. That we should look beyond it. That we should not address it. The Proverbs do speak to that. But that's not what Paul is doing here. And we're taking our cue from Scripture. What Paul is doing here is he's raising the issue. He's bringing this dispute up. And running from controversy has limits. As Christians and as a church, there are certain disputes and controversies in our lives as individuals and in the church as a whole that need to be addressed. Now, the specifics of that you will know due to from the Spirit's guidance and leading. The Holy Spirit will lay upon your mind certain situations between you and other persons that need to be resolved. That is not my job to mention those things. But the disputes in your life that you have with other Christians, I imagine that there are many of those, many people in here, who need to raise this issue and who need to address problems. That's my first point of application. Second point is reconciliation is not optional. Reconciliation in the body of Christ, agreeing in the Lord, is not optional. Dear friends, this is a commandment from God himself. Going back to the first point, one reason why we don't bring up disputes is we might not think that anything good can come from them. And once again, we need the Lord's wisdom here. But we must not think that this commandment to these two women is optional for us. It is not optional. to love your brothers and sisters in Christ. As Christians, we don't have the option to say, you know what, I don't want to love my neighbor. And also another point, 
is that you loving your neighbor, Udia's love towards Syntyche and Syntyche's love towards Udia is not contingent upon that love being reciprocated. Your love for your neighbor and brother and sister in Christ is not contingent upon their reception of it. We are called to love our brothers and sisters in Christ regardless. And reconciliation is a two-way street. I recognize that. I know that reconciliation is a two-way street. But your part in reconciliation is not contingent upon the other person's part. You must and you should. If you have acted towards a fellow brother and sister in Christ without showing humility, without showing sacrifice, by being selfish, and this has led to a dispute, a controversy, a long-standing issue, you must bring that up. And the way we bring that up, the magic formula that God has given us in the body of Christ to be reconciled with our brothers and sisters is apologizing. To apologize. To confess one's wrongdoing and to apologize. That is the spiritual tool that is central to reconciliation. You cannot have reconciliation without apologies, without confession and acknowledgement of wrongdoing. That is the first step. For those who have long-standing disputes with brothers and sisters in Christ, and at the center of it is selfishness and a lack of humility, you must apologize. You absolutely must. You must seek, seek reconciliation through confession and apology. Third point of application. Taking this from the passage that Pastor Steve read, it said this, bear one another's burdens. This is Galatians 6, 1 and 2. Bear one another's burdens so and so fulfill the law of Christ. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Dear friends, with some disputes, with some controversies, we will be an outsider looking in we might and could be, rather than Judea and Syntyche, rather than us being the two people who are at the center of the dispute, we could be on the outside, looking in. And that's where True Companion was at. So for two, Paul brings up these two women and he tells them to agree. Paul's commandment to True Companion is to not agree with them. True companion's responsibility. He's not involved in the dispute. 
He is not the one at the center of the disagreement. The two women are. But nonetheless, Paul has this commandment for an outside party. Sometimes in the body of Christ, what Christians need most in their controversies and disputes is they need a third party coming alongside of them. They need someone to help them. And dear friends, this is our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ. Remembering the language in Galatians, bear one another's burdens. Church life relationships are burdensome. Bringing reconciliation is not easy. But it is exactly what God calls us to in some situations. Now this doesn't mean you you need to go around to everybody who you know that there's division between and you go and solve everybody's problem. Once again, we have to have wisdom here. We have to have wisdom and prudence. But nonetheless, we are called to help brothers and sisters in Christ in their disagreement. We are called to bear this burden. Yes, it will be messy. Yes, it will be difficult. Yes, you could lose sleep over it. But it is an expression of our following Jesus Christ. We might need to be like the true companion here. And fourth point. Be transparent about conflict. Once again, going back to Judea and Syntyche, they're having this dispute. Paul knows about it. Paul is commanding a third party to get involved. If we are involved in a dispute and a conflict and a brother and sister comes to us lovingly, kindly, gently and they ask us about something going on, we cannot respond by saying that is none of your business. In the body of Christ, privacy must give way to transparency. Yes, there are matters in our lives that we are private about. There are certain matters in our life where we do not have to talk to others about. There is privacy. But privacy has limits. And the Bible does encourage over and over again transparency. Be open. Be honest. If and when help comes to you from a loving brother and sister in Christ and whose concern is valid and real, and who has your best interests in mind, accept it. Be humble. Be humble enough to confess and see that there is a problem that needs to be addressed. And dear friends, summarizing all of what we're talking about here, the solution is to be more like Jesus. The reason why there are disputes in the church, the reason why there are controversies, is because we do not faithfully reflect our Lord. And the answer is Him. The answer is modeling and demonstrating to our brothers and sisters in Christ the same attitudes that He has demonstrated towards us. It is simply a giving to others 
the love and grace of Christ that you yourself have received. For some of you, there is a necessary need for repentance. There is a necessary need to turn from one's sin. There is a necessary need of seeing that you have acted towards your brothers and sisters in Christ selfishly, unkindly. You've been prideful and self-centered. For us to advance as a body of Christ, for us to have and make a real impact in our life, it starts with these sins. It starts with us as a whole body asking the Lord to bring about his good purposes in us by leading us away from selfishness and to humility and to apologizing. The problem is long-standing. The solution is very simple but hard to execute on. Pray with me. Gracious Father, Lord, we have Eudias and Syntyches here in our body. Father, I pray for those who are in the same situation in Philippians 4.2. I pray that they would agree in the Lord. I pray for your Holy Spirit to produce in us humility, selflessness, ultimately Christ. Father, heal the divisions. Bring together those who have had long-standing disputes. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up true companions here in this congregation who would be convinced and convicted that they are called to mediate reconciliation. Father, cause us to bear one another's burdens. Make us more like Jesus, Father, for that is what we need. We pray for your blessing and your grace upon this new chapter in our church's life. Oh God, we need an outpouring of your spirit. We need revival. We need your love and your grace. I pray that through your love for us, Father, and by the power of the Spirit, that you would bring about and produce in us the image of Christ. And Father, that we would bear with one another, being kind to one another, forgiving each other as God in Christ has forgiven us. I pray all these things in Christ's name.